can you imagine a group of Christians in America that formed a group called Christians against Christian nationalism? Well, Amanda Tyler is behind that project. And if you're interested, stay tuned to Good God. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm so pleased to welcome back to the program Amanda Tyler. She is the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee in Washington, D.C., an organization of many Baptist entities and also individuals who help support uh, the work of pursuing religious liberty for all Americans, uh, something that has been a really cardinal virtue of Baptists since the beginning of our time here in America. And Am Amanda, thank you for your work and welcome back. Oh, thanks so much, George. We're Great so to be happy here to again. You. Well, and uh, everyone wouldn't know that you have lots of reasons to come back to Dallas, uh, among which is that this is where your husband grew up. And That's is, right. And in fact, uh, you just celebrated uh, the High Holy Days with Temple Emmanuel, where he uh, is a member. I did, with his, with his parents, my in-law. Yes. We got to be there and even uh, got to take my four-year-old to a tot service to right. celebrate the holidays. So this is um, a, a wonderful way of talking about uh, the, the fact that one can hold a religious conviction of one's own and hold it dearly and um, have real convictions about uh, how we look at the world, but we can do so with a kind of generosity toward others who have the same kind of faith convictions that are maybe somewhat different from ours, right? Uh, right. You're doing it in your own marriage and in your own family, uh, and you're also doing it in your work. Yeah. So recently, uh, you transgressed the boundaries of Baptists a little more in actually moving into the wider Christian community, discovering allies who would help you create a movement called Christians, Christians Against Christian Nationalism. That's right. Christians Against Christian Nationalism.org, <laughs> as a matter of fact, if you want to go there. Tell us what was happening out there that gave you fire in your heart about this. Yeah, so this issue of Christian nationalism, it's mm. not new. It's no. been around in our country. Um, I've learned probably for at least 200 years, yes. and it, you know, we've, we see it go up and down, you know, as far as how much uh, evidence of Christian nationalism we see in our culture. But over the past, you know, few years, we've really seen that it's kind of stuck at high tide, right? Yes. That we just are seeing lots of examples of Christian nationalism, some of them quite extreme and violent, mm -hmm. even deadly. And it felt like this was a time when we needed to stand up and say yes. something about Christian nationalism. It's not the first time BJC has been involved in this topic. Mm -hmm. uh, this idea that the United States was created as a, quote, Christian nation yes. has been a myth that just won't die. And in fact, it right. seems to be getting even more deeply entrenched in some ways. Right. And for decades, BJC has done some myth busting uh, be behind, you know, around mm -hmm. that idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, but this moment felt like it needed an even stronger and more organized response. And so that's yes. how we came up with Christians Against Christian Nationalism. I suppose, you know, we look back on the history of 
um, European Americans coming to these shores, and we know that uh, those who fled religious persecution in England and Holland came here, and they did carry with them uh, on their journey a kind of vision of uh, being a New Jerusalem, didn't they? They they had this sort of. Many of them were inspired by the idea that they would be starting in a new world and fulfilling somewhat this city on a hill that uh, uh, would be a light unto the, the nations. Uh, but that's a real difference between sort of an aspiration to be a holy people in a new place and the idea that you have established a Christian nation. How, how would you distinguish those two things and help people understand that difference? Sure. I mean, something I've learned, I've, I've actually been doing my own podcast, a yes. podcast series on Christian nationalism. I've talked to a number of experts in the field, and something I've learned about the history is it's much more nuanced and complicated than it's sometimes presented. So yes. certainly know that story about mm -hmm. the city on the hill being set up, and mm -hmm. that certainly was what inspired some immigrants to the right. United States, but not all. Some mm -hmm. came for commercial reasons. Right. And so that wasn't a, a universal experience yes. for all. And then that particular experience of the Puritans coming and setting up uh, their system, from the beginning they started excluding others, including right. some of our Baptist forebears, people like Roger Williams, who mm -hmm. were banished from the colony in the dead of winter because of their views about soul freedom, for instance. Well, and we should just po probably pause to celebrate the fact that the very first experiment in religious liberty, uh, the, the first colony set up for religious liberty in the history of the world was Roger Williams, Rhode Island. Right. right? So a product of the very persecution by people who came to say that they were setting up a Christian nation in a sense. So, That's right. Yeah, right. And, and that experience of exclusion, of establishment of a particular religious view was replicated in many other colonies right. during that era. Right. And when the United States came together, when we were founded as a constitutional democracy with our founding documents, our founders, imperfect people who made a lot of mistakes at that, mm -hmm. at that time, one thing I think they did really well uh, was set up a system where the government would remain neutral with regard yes. to religion. Uh, in, the, in the Constitution itself, in 1787, they have Article 6. It's the only time religion or religious right. is mentioned. They say there will be no, no religious, religious test. test. Right. Right? So, and that mm -hmm. was from their experience where a lot sure. of these colonies did have religious tests. So this is a really important point, I think, for people to hear and get clear on that this is really not just one person's theory over another. There was a very distinct difference between colonial America and constitutional America. That's right. Colonial America was a transition period between the old world and the new in that they were bringing with them, uh, yes, a desire for religious freedom, but really for their own religious freedom, not necessarily for their neighbors. And so each colony had their own um, religious establishment. Of, you would have the Congregationalist in Massachusetts and the Catholic Church in Maryland and the Anglican Church in Virginia and the Quakers in Pennsylvania, et cetera. And, and yet we came to the conclusion that didn't work, right. right? That that really was not what true religious liberty was. And so the First Amendment to the Constitution added to Article Six and expanded that, right? And we have a constitutional America that we need to acknowledge is 
neutral toward religion, not a Christian nation. Right, and that was a very deliberate choice based on the experience of exclusion and based in part on the advocacy of religious dissenters like Baptists. Right. And how that... We never were a colony with That's right. There was no established Baptist colony. And so, um, but the experience of Baptists moved founders like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, along with the experience of other religious minorities, to be sure that the government, the United States government, the federal government, would remain neutral with regard to religion. So why do you think we have this recurring um, myth of a Christian nation and a desire to establish a Christian nationalism uh, over and over again, but very much so today. We, we keep seeing it um, yeah. being heralded. Well, what I learned from historian Stephen Green was that in the generation right after the founders, that America was this new country and they were in they were looking for a founding myth. Yes. And so there was an opportunity to go back and cherry pick some different quotes and anecdotes and start to make this idea of the mm-hmm. founding of the United States as being something that was um, that God had looked over, that God had favored our undertakings, right. and that we were somehow part of a, a larger divine plan. Mm. And so it started very early, and then it just got repeated and changed and repeated over yes. time, and it became so de- deeply entrenched. Right. Um, I think we've seen after some different uh, world war, you know, in mm-hmm. the 1920s, we saw another rise of Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. 1950s in the Cold War, we saw a lot of other examples of that. Mm-hmm. And then again recently, I think, um, and, and I don't know exactly what to pinpoint the reason is yes. right now, but we see a rising tide of nationalism. Yes. And so it seems natural that perhaps we would also see a recurrence uh, and even an amplification of Christian nationalism. Well, let, let's say that there's nationalism, there's Christian nationalism, and there's white Christian nationalism. That's right. right? And these are in a kind of ascending order of um, danger that we're experiencing. I, I want to go back before we pursue that even more to Stephen Green's idea that we were the founders, after the founders, they were, in, this was your language, in pursuit of a founding myth. That's right. So it's really important, I think, that we pause there and say that that founding myth was necessary to coalesce a a new nation uh, around ideas that they wanted to advance, but necessarily it also excluded much of our history uh, so, for instance, Native Americans. That's right. Uh, as we begin, so for instance, uh, the um, uh, enslaved persons from Africa that were part of our nation yes. at its founding, right. and not part of our nation in terms of of who we really were. So, this myth covers over a kind of a exclusionary history that, if we were really telling the story of our origins we would have to repent to begin with and say, if we're going to renew America, we've got to go back to honor all those who were here with us to begin with. The reinforcing of that myth, though, is in a way continuing to cover over the social disenfranchisement of a lot of people. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's where um, we can really see how 
Christian nationalism has provided cover for a kind of continuing white supremacy as well. Exactly, exactly. So therefore, when we have these mass shootings and we, we seem to keep um, failing to realize that the vast majority of these mass shootings are inspired by white Christian nationalism in one form or another, and they are directed at otherwise excluded people from that, whether it's the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, so the rise of anti-Semitism associated with white Christian nationalism, or it's against uh, people of uh, African descent, and uh, so you have uh, or Muslims, and you have the New Zealand synagogue uh, that is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sorry, mosques, the New Zealand mosques that are, um, uh, people are murdered uh, by someone deliberately claiming this, this Christian nationalism. And, and we have all of these sort of um, events, uh, including immigration policy mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. that are rooted in this myth of, of Christian nationalism. Yeah, I mean, I think even the recent shooting in El Paso, the tragic shooting. There, there you go. You know, this right. idea that to be American, yes. you look a certain way, mm-hmm. you worship a certain way, you know, that, that that is what it means to be a true American. And if you vary from that image, yes. then somehow you are a second-class citizen or even you know, dehumanized in some way and, and, and in the hands of extremists, right. that's where we can see this ideology turn violent and even deadly. So it goes back to a, a, a kind of feeling that the most American you can be is to be someone who looks like you and me. Right. 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 And then uh, if we're in charge, we'll be kind and tolerant of others and allow them to do certain things alongside us, which is an incredibly arrogant posture to take to begin with, but it's also not the essence of what it means to be American. That's right. And it's also at odds with true religious liberty. That yes. tolerance is mm-hmm. not what freedom is about. Right. And that in our again at our founding mm-hmm. we rejected tolerance yes. in favor of religious freedom. Right. And that means equality that we are all equally American regardless of our religious faith, or even if we claim a faith tradition at all. And it seems like what's happening increasingly is we're supposed to pay attention to the feeling of loss that white people are experiencing in an increasingly um, diverse, pluralistic America where uh, our neighborhoods look more diverse and all of that. I think we should at least pause to say, yes, we're experiencing loss, but we're experiencing a loss of something that we actually never should have experienced as privilege. That's right, exactly. And and that's exactly how I talk about it, that mm-hmm. what looks like a loss of religious liberty to some is really just a loss of religious privilege. And right. that, back to our founders, and I, mm-hmm. and I p- point to them because the Christian nationalists often try to point to the founders as setting up something very different. Yes. But but they set up a system where no one religion would be privileged. Right. And after, you know, a couple of centuries of of maybe some promoting of the Christian faith in ways that are not in line with those constitutional mm-hmm. values, we're now in a place where we're trying to right that ship some and that causes some people some anxiety. It does, it does. Now, when, when we come back from a break, we, I, I want us to talk more specifically about this campaign yes. 
and its principles and what you hope to achieve in it. So let's hold that thought. We'll Great. be back. Okay. Thank you for continuing to tune in to Good God. This program is made possible by the contributions of friends of the program. And we are delighted that they continue to support it so generously so that we don't have to ask for additional support every episode. I'm sure you're glad about that too. If you'd like to know where else you can tune in to find Good God, whether in a video format or audio, or even to get a transcript of the program, go to www.goodgodproject.com. That's our website, and it's the best place to go to receive an archive of all the previous episodes and to get a new one each week if you'd like. Thanks again for your support. We're back with Amanda Tyler. And she has started this um, campaign called Christians Against Christian Nationalism. In fact, we did a little video um, with Baptist Joint Committee and people like me got in front of the camera and said, I'm a Christian against Christian nationalism. A very effective video. Thank you for yes. being part of that. Of fact. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you for asking. But uh, tell me what it stands for. What are the guiding principles of this? And uh, we'll, we'll start there. Sure. So, as we've been discussing, Christian nationalism is such an insidious ideology yes. in our culture. And so we felt like we needed to find some place to start. Mm -hmm. And we thought in order to start having conversations about this, about really understanding more about what Christian nationalism is, how it shows up in our society, and how we can start um, to question some of these assumptions that mm -hmm. underlie this ideology, a good place to start would be a statement of unifying principles. Okay. Things that kind of get above uh, the culture war noise. Yes. Um, that we, to just start conversations, can we agree at least on these bedrock principles? Okay, so what are some of them? Yeah, so we have a list of seven unifying principles. And the first one is people of all faiths and none have the right and responsibility to engage constructively in the public square. So right off the bat, we're kind of combating that argument we sometimes hear that the separation of church and state means that we're trying to kick people out of the public square. Yes. And in fact, quite the opposite. Religion mm -hmm. uh, is flourishing in America and flourishes in the public square, and we want to protect it. Mm -hmm. And part of that is making sure that government doesn't advance uh, religion yes. or inhibit it. Right. And uh, we also think that people of all faiths and none have a right to be yes. in the public square. Too often sometimes, especially when it comes to Christian nationalism, we sometimes hear Christian voices who are promoting, I think, mm -hmm. Christian nationalism yes. and its ideology. Uh, we think it's important that Christians, in, in more authentic picture of Christian faith, to show Christians who are concerned about Christian nationalism. And it would probably be interesting to people to know that uh, Nearly a hundred years ago, on the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., let me be very clear about this. The pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, articulated this very principle, all faiths or none right. are invited into the public square to bring their faith, and that l religious liberty should be accorded to all of them in that way. Uh, history's just full of ironies, isn't it? That's right. Now we're coming up on, you know, George W. Truett's address, 1920, so you're right, we're coming yep. up on the 100th anniversary, so this right. is well-timed. Very good. What's yeah. next? 
Patriotism does not require us to minimize our religious convictions. So for one here, we're trying to differentiate between patriotism and nationalism. And this idea that to be a patriot does not mean to pledge blind allegiance to the country. It also doesn't ask us to merge our faith Mm. with our, uh, our allegiance to our country in such a way that really causes us to minimize our faith right. in some ways mm-hmm. because a government-sponsored faith is going to water it down. It's mm-hmm. going to find some of those truths of Christianity oh. to be inconvenient to yes. the status quo. Right. Oh, we could do this all day on that subject. What's next? Yeah. Conflating religious authority with political authority is idolatrous and often leads to oppression of minority and other marginalized groups, as well as the spiritual impoverishment of religion. Yes, which makes the further point that as uh, government gets involved in religion, it impoverishes religion. It uh, doesn't necessarily... um, advance the aims of religion, it it tends to get, religion gets co-opted, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think an example here, you know, I think part of this project is to show it's not just, we've talked about the violent forms of Christian Mm -hmm. nationalism, but Christian nationalism also shows up in our country in much more mundane, even Mm -hmm. constitutional ways. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen these bills sweeping the country where that would mandate the posting of In God We Trust in public schools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we saw some of these signs going up in the schools this year, and it's totally out of context. So a child walks into their school, first day of school this year, and they just see In God We Trust on the wall. You know, what does that show? How totally out of context that is, how it really can mix up, again, our allegiances and mix up God and Caesar in a way that Jesus preached against. Well, this is also part, I think we should just be honest and say the wall builders movement and the Christian nationalist movement has a very deliberate strategy and one stage of it is this posting of In God We Trust on public school campuses so that provocatively we move, they move the conversation that direction and certain assumptions take place. But I think a lot of people just grew up with In God We Trust and they don't realize the historical context in which that came to be a motto, not the motto, but a motto of the United States. And it was during the the Cold War period. It was uh, just as when we pledge allegiance, uh, one nation under God, the words under God were added during the Eisenhower administration in order to say we're not like the atheistic communist um, Soviets. And so uh, we we have a failure to recognize where we really come from and why all of this is there. Yeah, and all of these examples, yes, they are meant to lead to, I think, even some more harmful legislation, but I think Mm -hmm. it's worth a conversation to think about the harms that even the posting of that does, how that works to exclude perhaps some children who uh, are non-religious, for example, or make them feel like they don't belong. It also confuses, you know, people like me, you know, about, well, what is is this doing in a public school? And what, is this some kind of theological statement? Or is this a patriotic statement? And if it's Mm -hmm. patriotic, then what does God have to do with my with the country, right? And are we somehow equating yes. um, a th- religious authority with political authority? Very good. All right, what comes next? 
And then the last one gets to the violence question. It, you this know. is the fourth. There are seven, but we yeah. just to summarize them. These are the big four. Right, okay. right. That we must stand up to and speak out against Christian nationalism, especially when it inspires acts of violence and intimidation, including vandalism, bomb threats, arson, hate crimes, and attacks on houses of worship against religious communities at home and abroad. Mm. And so I think this statement tries to get at, you know, yes, there's deadly violence, but there's also non-deadly violence that also that sends mm -hmm. this message to people that you don't belong here right. in a way that is very un-American mm -hmm. and, uh, and is also against our Christian values of right. loving our neighbor. I mean, there's a certain bully mentality to this, isn't there? Right. Yeah, yeah that, that I'm in a position of privilege and, and therefore you're mm -hmm. gonna just have to deal with this faith here in the public, in, in, in the government promoting the faith. So you put this out and then signatures yeah. everywhere. Yeah. How many? Uh, 15, well, 10,000 in the first 10 days. Wow. And uh, so we just saw kind of an, that we knew we had struck a chord here mm -hmm. when this mm -hmm. launched. Uh, in, in late summer, and it's open to anyone who self-identifies as a Christian to sign. Mm -hmm. It's also an open-sourced public document. So yes. when you sign, and we're very clear about this when you go to the website, ChristiansAgainstChristianNationalism.org, that your name, your city and state, and however you want to identify mm -hmm. religiously, whether it's a house of worship or a denomination, uh, that that's going to be publicly uh, you know, publicly put on the website. So they can do that. People yes. can do it. Okay. Go to the website. And once again, it's ChristiansAgainstChristianNationalism.org, if you can type that much out That's uh, right. to do it. Uh, but it's, and it's not just for clergy. It's for anyone who that's wants right. to support this. That's that's absolutely right. And we not only did we see large numbers from all 50 mm -hmm. states, so it's now 15,000 from all 50 states have signed wow. on, uh, but we've also see a lot of theological diversity. Yes. This is across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, I think more than six dozen different denominations have already signed that Good. we can just see because they've given us this information when they've signed up. Great. So this can't be dismissed as just a quote left-leaning project sure. and and that was the that was what our goal was too mm -hmm. because again these are such unifying principles mm -hmm. we know that this reflects uh, a great number of Christians and we hope that this number continues to grow that we can provide a witness to our neighbors and provide a, an opportunity to go on record. So there's about education this. there for someone yeah. who goes to the website and can really begin to um, think through the implications of these things. Practically speaking, uh, what do you hope neighbor will do with neighbor, family member with family member around the Thanksgiving table when there's a, uh, a feeling of, well, you know, we have a right to protect our nation and uh, those sorts of things. And then who is we? And, uh, that, the, you know, yeah. those are, these are typical kinds of conversations we have uh, in uh, at the, the water cooler, at uh, the family dinner table. What do you hope will happen as a result of this? Yeah, I hope that we can lead and start conversations mm -hmm. that instead of just rolling our eyes when we have that family member who says that or mm -hmm. even just following along or, or agreeing, that we might actually start to question some of those assumptions. Okay. And we might also say, you know, how good is this really for our faith for the government to right. be promoting it in this way, in this mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. that really distorts faith mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's convenient for the government, mm -hmm. but not 
living true to our religious values, right. that we can also talk about how is this really loving our neighbor to exclude those who don't mm -hmm. believe exactly the way that we do in this country, right. um, that we might start person by person, conversation by conversation, chipping away at, again, what's become a very deeply entrenched idea. And I don't think these are easy conversations. Um, this project is something that, you know, like I said, we've, we're dealing with something that's at least 200 years old, but that if people will just start to question some of these assumptions, yes. just build awareness about where this is showing up in their world, right. uh, that we might be able to make some headway here. Well, I, I think the other thing I would hope people would begin to do is to uh, take initiative to have uh, friendships with um, people of other faiths and other ethnicities yeah. uh, so that they can uh, hear the common aspirations we have in this country and the willingness for people who have felt you know, excluded uh, to, to see how hard they work to support our country and to be patriotic and right. to serve and to um, promote the values of America and to gain a status that should be simply theirs by virtue of their right as citizens. Exactly. And yet they are still working hard to achieve it in terms of the respect of, of their neighbors. Yeah. And it shouldn't have to be that way. Yeah. And I, I do want to point out this is Christians against Christian nationalism. Right. When we first approached this project, we thought it might be an interfaith initiative. Yes. You know, people of faith against Christian nationalism. Right. But talking with our Jewish and Muslim uh, coalition mm -hmm. partners, they really said, you know, we don't feel the same level of comfort as you do in calling out Christian nationalism. Right. We think this is a great project. Mm -hmm. But, but, this isn't really our place to call out yes. other Christians. And that meant a lot to me, and it also showed, again, that we have a level of status and privilege to Absolutely. even be able to be so bold as to take on this campaign. I was in a room the other night um, in the mayor's office with some African-American pastors as we were preparing for the verdict in the Amber Geiger trial and the um, both of Jean, as you know, was, was murdered by this Dallas police officer. And as I you know, began to say some things uh, that were resonating with these black pastors, one of them sort of stopped me and said, would you promise to say that outside this room? Yeah. Would you please, we need you to say those things and to do it publicly. And what, what you could hear was this very thing that you hear from other religions is, those of you, those of us who have privilege, whether white or Christian or, or what? Or both. Or both, and doubly so if, if both, um, a lot of people are depending upon us to live up to the values that we uh, encoded in that constitution, all of us uh, right. did. And, uh, and, and by our um, deference, respect, and Christian humility, we can bear better witness to our own faith and build a better America. Yeah, and, and I think I've even seen my privilege in appreciating what this means to them. Ah. You know, like I really felt a need to do this and to stand mm -hmm. up to Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. but I think our efforts 
are even more appreciated, not only from our brothers and sisters who are from different faith traditions, but also those who don't claim a specific faith yes. tradition. That's also a really misunderstanding. Gr yeah, growing absolutely. group in this country. The fastest growing group in this country is non-religious. Right which is uh, a new challenge altogether and maybe a conversation for another day. <laughs> Amanda, thank you for being on Good God again. Thank you, George. Glad to have you. Yes, thanks. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons.